This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 7th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Major internet service providers now have a private method for dealing with people who get their content illegally on the internet. Was it an attempt to merely avoid coercive enforcement? Jim Harper, Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. The ISPs and the major copyright holders have gotten together with an agreement about how to address online copyright infringement. The terms of the deal are essentially that copyright holders would notify ISPs when they believed that an internet protocol address being used by one of the ISPs customers is engaged in copyright violation. The ISP would then pass along Uh, a notice or series of notices with a sort of graded intrusiveness to the customer, uh, ultimately potentially resulting in the customer receiving degraded internet service if they didn't respond adequately to the notices they received uh, through their ISPs from the copyright holders. All right. Now, what does that mean, degraded internet service? Like it's like a demerit of some sort? The terms aren't entirely clear. Uh, they've tried to get away very much from the idea that one's internet service would be entirely cut off. But they're talking about slowing down internet access or depriving you of access to some services, like the web. You'd still be able to make phone calls, because that's important, using using a voice over internet protocol, for example, because your 911 service might come that way. But various qualities of your internet service could go away if you failed entirely to respond to the ISP's notice. Uh, A person can initiate, apparently, uh, a challenge to the notices by paying $35 to the ISP to look into the allegation. That's controversial to some. There are arguments on both sides, so so there's a little bit of controversy coming from every direction. The idea that you should have to pay your ISP in order to determine whether or not you've been violating copyright law and should get continued service from them. But it's a way of gating the disputes of claimed copyright infringement that are coming from the the copyright side of the field. ISPs are increasingly cable providers, uh, providers of uh, other entertainment directly, that is television, Um, but they are effectively in the business of providing the pipe that you use to get the stuff. Is there any reason to believe that they have some sort of natural interest in policing their own traffic, you know, at the possible detriment uh, to their own customers? It's hard to know what what interest they are pursuing with this agreement. Uh, that's why my suspicion, though it's only a suspicion, is that they're participating in this agreement to avoid something worse. Listen, on the plus side, this is a non-coercive agreement. It's an agreement among companies uh, to do something that they think is in their best interest. And it's not my job to second-guess companies doing what they think is in their best interest. But the suspicion, the background suspicion, is that uh, perhaps the ISPs recognizing writing on the wall, and the copyright owners have been very good at writing on the wall and sometimes passing legislation in Congress, uh, perhaps the writing on the wall was that something worse could be down, coming down the pipeline if the ISPs didn't enter into some kind of agreement like this. So the, my suspicion is that that's the motivation, though I have no way of knowing for sure. Some of this has to do with the fact that um, content creators, I guess recording industry uh, and and others, have 
gotten sort of a black eye in the methods that they've used in the past of dealing with people who have been engaged in file sharing on the internet. I'm thinking of little old ladies and like preteen girls. Sure, this is a this is a good deal, uh, at least in comparison to how things have gone in the past, which has been a, a rather litigious uh, copyright industry. And in particular, because of my interest in privacy, a uh, position that the the uh, RIAA took now seven years ago or more under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. We're in the coercive environment where they believed that the law required ISPs to turn over subscriber information uh, based on a non-judicial subpoena. That is, a copyright holder and any copyright holder could go to a court and require the clerk of the court to issue a subpoena without having filed a lawsuit to an ISP requiring the ISP to turn over subscriber information. That kind of thing, that way of administering uh, claims of copyright violation uh, would allow privacy violation to happen uh, rather easily because nothing would have to be proven. There'd be no sanction from a court uh, because no, no lawsuit has been filed. Um, that was, in the, that was a, co- a coercive attempt to control copyrights. It was one that threatened privacy, and this is quite a bit better because ISPs have pledged that they're not going to be passing subscriber information to the copyright holders under the terms of this agreement. So it's better, but is it all the way good? It's hard to say. The implementation issues may be significant, and we know something about what what those will look like because uh, copyright holders have made many claims uh, of copyright infringement that are false and so pursued people based on false or errant claims of copyright infringement. That could easily happen in this environment because there's no real economic check on filing infringement claims with ISPs. And so due to some misunderstanding, due to mistake, due to automation that's poorly designed or poorly operated, uh, they might start complaining to ISPs about users, users uh, either not having done anything wrong at all or not knowing why this is happening on their computers. Uh, will find themselves in something of a Kafkaesque morass if the ISP ultimately concludes that they're not a satisfactory customer. And this, again, turns the ISP and the customer into adversaries, potentially, which is a, a difficult position for the ISPs to be in. A lot of people get their entertainment, sometimes most of their entertainment, this way, through the through the Internet or that same pipeline. Um, doesn't this threaten their ability to sort of freely do that? It does threaten people's ability to access information to a degree, and there have been some arguments put forward that a non-judicial process is is an inappropriate one because it impinges on what might be an arguable right to Internet access. And I think that's uh, an inappropriate way to look at this. A concern in this deal is that the ISPs, major ISPs, and the major copyright holders are getting together and will try to sort of exclude the non-majors, particularly the non-major ISPs. If an ISP is not participating in this, uh, will that ISP become a pariah? Will the insinuation be that it's doing something illegal by providing wide open internet access, which is the real service we're asking for? And so you might see this agreement forming the basis for legal action against non-participating ISPs, and that would cause competition in the area of internet service provision to drop, Um, then a person could not switch ISPs. 
if they if they were subject to all these notices and ultimately blacklisted in some way. Um, the important protection for consumers here is to be able to change internet service providers if they're, if they're not getting good service. And so the worry here is that uh, ISPs will use this agreement, the major ones, to exclude competition. We don't want uh, a regulatory environment to grow up around this agreement that would ha have that non-competitive effect or anti-competitive effect. The thinking that puts all this in context is the problem, the basic problem of intellectual property. When we're dealing with physical property, real, prop right, real property, tangibles, it's relatively easy to know if something is owned. The physical properties involved uh, go back to Locke and the mixing of labor with common property. Tilling of soil made it easy to tell whether the soil had been tilled. The construction of a house uh, is proof in and of itself that someone has taken physical materials and made something owned of it. This is not the case in the intellectual property environment, intellectual property. That's cognitive and volitional product. That is anything and everything, only some of which are protected by uh, federal statutes. Intellectual property does not inherently give notice to the world of the fact that it is owned. And this regime, in a way, is an attempt to try to create that information around property, in this case intellectual property, that serves notice of its ownership. So it's a very interesting attempt, but I think it's the first, uh, I think it's a start in an effort to create a regime around intellectual property that parallels physical property. I don't know that it'll succeed, and I expect that there'll be many more stories in years to come, and perhaps more podcasts on this very subject. Jim Harper is Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.